0: Welcome to Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system. That each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files that shows just like this one that contain The content of people who've called into the show and actually been stepped through the worksheet process, and if you choose to listen to those even repeatedly, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you, helping you getting the most benefit out of these tools in the shortest period of time possible. If you type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness to your favorite app program, you can see before you're done typing the word forgiveness you'll see the glowing heart icon if you choose to tap on that it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet it contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the drag on cling on game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences and we hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you do that, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And if you don't want to call in or if you're listening through the archives, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at Yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or a question from you in that format, we'll address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you and what's working most effectively for you and what you might appreciate us doing more of as we move forward. Last night was a Tuesday, so we had a support group from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. We had two different people work through worksheets, um, And and again, it was highlighted, and and something that um, doesn't happen on the second half of this radio show, so I'll highlight it here again because a number of people have commented about how valuable they find the worksheet process when we incorporate what I call the forgiveness pattern. So whether you're using any variation of the worksheet process, when you get to do the release and you cancel your goal, you cancel the emotions, you cancel the thoughts that you have, and you're asking to be shown something else from a, a more integrated part of consciousness or from a higher source, whatever you want to call it. You can call it Holy Spirit, you can call it God, light, love. There's no vested interest in one name over another in this work. But as you're asking for that assistance in canceling a goal and asking to be shown a hidden part of your mind, I offer a thing called the Forgiveness Pattern, and this is available absolutely free on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And it's available as a PDF that you can download and read. It's also available as an audio file that you can just click the link and listen to. So you can sit there in your processing and do a little meditation and listen to me recite the Forgiveness Pattern which most people in our support groups and in my private practice and in our times that we've done people calling in and doing worksheets on the on this internet show, most people find it that it deepens and expands the insight and the shift that they get when they do a worksheet process. And... There really isn't any magic to it per se. It's not one person's creation. It's literally a compilation of things that I watched and listened to some of the most effective and prolific worksheet coaches do over the years, from my times visiting Heartland and my times attending um, workshops with Dr. Michael Rice in various locations and my listening to input from people on the Internet show and my incorporating things that evolved over the last 20 years of doing uh, the support group on Tuesday nights. And so... Um, it's even It even incorporates some things I learned from various trauma therapy techniques, such as um, EMDR and EFT tapping. So I just want to highlight that. It's available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. I have called it the Forgiveness Pattern because it's just this kind of a meditative response that... Uh, Coaches the individual who's doing the worksheet process into a state of softening and relaxing and allowing things to bubble up with trust and confidence that whatever arises is going to be part of what needs to be seen to help that individual heal and move forward from whatever process they're in. And we, we use that pattern every time we do a worksheet on the, um, on the Internet show and every time we do a worksheet in the support group. So it was used um, last night uh, two different times, and people commented on it again as uh, a way to deepen and enrich, enrich the results they get when they are asking for help in releasing stuck emotions, trauma energies, blame, etc. So that was one topic I wanted to bring up. Another topic I wanted to mention is this idea of definitions for words, and it is it, it frequently amazes me how often people believe they are talking about the same thing simply because they're using words that sound similar. And yet when people start exploring what is the meaning of this use of this word here for me when I use it in this sentence or this phrase, they frequently discover they're not talking about the same thing at all. And um, this was one of the topics that came up when I was listening to the podcast, The One Thing Podcast with um, Dr. David Grutter and his wife, is also something that just came up this morning when I was having a conversation with somebody, that um, they're they're very, very opinionated. And in their opinion, um, when they were talking to somebody, they grabbed a hold of this word and said, you see, that's what's wrong. There's where you're wrong. And they went off on this dissertation about how the other person was wrong, and they were using a word... Assuming they had the same definition as the person they were talking at, they weren't really having a conversation, and they they weren't using the same definition at all. When I just slowed it down and asked people to clarify the definition, it was very clear. They weren't thinking of the same thing at all. So here are people, and this is one of the things that a lot of us have witnessed. David Gruder talks about it extensively in his work, that people assume they are having a conversation using the English language, using words that everyone understands, but they've all attributed slightly different or sometimes dramatically different meanings to that word. And... The example that came up this morning was somebody used the, the, the word equal. And then they, you know, they somebody said, well, what do you mean by equal? And as the person gave a definition for equal, they, they had at least three solidly, distinctly different meanings for the word in the examples they gave. And they didn't understand that they had different that they were referring to three different things with the same word. So this is why communication tools are so powerful, so useful. There are three of them that I often mention to people. One of them is Dr. Michael Rice's responsibility communication tool. Another one is Robert Bolton's book, People Skills, and in it he, he outlines what he calls reflective listening as a skill. And the other one is Harville Hendricks' book, Getting the Love You Want or Need. And in his Amago Dialogue, he has almost exactly the same process of this reflective listening or, you know, some certain, certain parts of Dr. Michael Rice's responsibility communication tool and it begins each of these begin with the same first step which is finding a way to describe what you experienced in the most bland non-emotional non-interpretive terms possible Michael Rice describes it as reporting what you experienced or what you saw and heard the way a camera would record it or the way a, uh, a voice recorder would record it and describing it just as plainly and simply descriptively as you can without adding words that imply judgment or emotion or preference, and that's the beginning of all three of these. That alone is a separate skill. Most people do not have any extensive practice with describing something without the judgment and interpretation built in. So that's the first step that takes some work. People have to actually make an effort to describe something without adding commentary. The example I give most often when people are in my office is I say, so if I said to you, Larry, you know, when you sauntered in here today and plopped down on that chair, the word sauntered and plopped, are completely irrelevant. They're completely emotionally loaded and based on interpretation and many would say have a negative connotation. So that wouldn't fit what's required in these listening tools. I would need to say, you know, Larry, when you walked in here today and sat in a chair, now that's just a description that pretty much anybody who was in the room could agree with. Because it began with Larry being outside the room, Larry walking into the room, and Larry going from a standing position to a seated position in a chair. We're not saying it's right, it's wrong, it's good, it's bad. So we're just describing it as cleanly, as devoid of interpretation or judgment as possible. That's the first step in communication that many people don't do very well because they've never been coached to do it. And then there's the second part of each of these three approaches. More the more the Imago dialogue and the Robert Bolton people skills. The second part is the individual who's in the position of listening must listen without interrupting, must overcome the very strong conditioning that most of us have in this culture to listen with the idea of how to respond. So most people aren't ever actually listening to another person. What they're doing is practicing, even while the other person is still talking, they're rehearsing what they're going to say whenever the person takes a breath or stops talking. And for the Imago Dialogue and the reflective listening tool, that's the second skill that's needed. The individual must learn to listen without interrupting and with the only purpose of listening being to be able to repeat to the speaker, accurately repeat to the speaker, the content of what they said and the emotions that they're experiencing or describing. So there's another skill that is required that people quite often have to practice rather extensively if they're going to be able to get any kind of success with this set of tools, listening for the sole purpose of being able to repeat and get agreement from the other person that you you heard and understood them. So again, this is only for the Imago Dialogue and the Robert Bolton's People Skills book, exercise on reflective listening it isn't so much the exact same thing with dr michael rice's tool the responsibility communication in the responsibility communication tool the goal is that i map out for myself that i understand my position And that I do that from a lens which has me taking 100% responsibility for the perceptions I'm creating and the emotions I generate in response to those perceptions. So it's more an inside job with the responsibility communication tool. And then for all of these, the primary goal of a listening tool is to be able to give people the gift of feeling heard and understood, of having a new level of understanding, not even agreement, just clarity and understanding. And when anyone picks up these tools, if they have any goal other than to increase understanding and a sense of connection between the two parties, they're misusing the tool. That's the only valid goal for either the Robert Bolton's People Skills book, Reflective Listening Exercise, or the Harville Hendricks Amago Dialogue, and I would say the Responsibility Communication tool from Dr. Michael Rice. The primary goal is critical because the goal is what drives our behaviors. And if I hold any goal other than I want to give the person in front of me the gift of feeling heard and understood, then I'm not using that listening tool appropriately. And when you use a tool inappropriately, you get you know, ineffective or cockeyed results, so... So those are two critical points I wanted to make. The idea that you know we are absolutely creating our experience of life it is the core of the the way of mastery reading that we've been doing. It's the thing that makes the reality management worksheet And again, that's the core tool in Dr. Michael Rice's work. The fact that we are each creating our own experience of life is the only thing that gives the reality management worksheet any power. If the fact of the matter was other people were creating, maintaining creating and maintaining my emotional state, then the worksheet process would be completely worthless because the worksheet process doesn't have any aspect of it that's designed to change another person's behavior. And if another person's behavior is what's creating my emotional state, then in order for me to be in a better emotional state, I have to find a way to change their some other person's behavior. Fortunately for all of us, that's never been the case. The good news is, Each and every one of us is creating our own experience of life in each moment. The not-so-good news is that's not what we're taught. So we have some, you might call it conditioning or brainwashing or habit of thought to overcome as we get back on track, as we tune into the truth of what's causing our emotions and give ourselves the opportunity to make a change for the better it's insidious though it's truly deeply insidious it's woven into our language it's woven into the the precedent of most every interaction we've ever watched with any other adults in our lives that we have blame michael rice's past couple years been calling it the one world universal religion of blame and he calls people card-carrying members of the one-world universal religion of blame. What, that, what does that sound like? It sounds like you made me angry. You hurt my feelings. You're offending me. You're scaring me. That situation is tragic. That situation is wonderful. You light up my life you make life worth living attributing my emotional state to anyone or anything outside of me is blame it's also in michael rice's terminology codependence it's the codependent relationship that's created in the moment that i think speak or act as though someone outside of me is responsible for creating and maintaining my emotional state So, what can you do within yourself to wake up to the possibility that no one has ever made you angry, no one has ever made you feel sad, hurt, scared, or offended in any way, well, one thing you can do is in the way of mastery and the first lesson, just let into your mind the thought that you don't experience anything except the effects of your own choices. Now, when you first start thinking that thought, it's not going to have much impact on you because it's got a lot of conditioning, as we've just been talking about, to the opposite of that that you're going to need to overcome in your own... what. Um, Abraham Hicks would say, you've got a lot of momentum behind the thoughts that assign blame. And yet, with, I'll say practice, right? With willingness to work at questioning things anew, it is possible to rewrite the belief pattern to dismantle a, an unproductive habit and substitute a productive habit in its place. And then if I strengthen that habit enough, it can become my default habit. And whether it's, it strikes you that way or not, when we're reading from the way of mastery, That's literally what all of it's about. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people that I know that use tools like The Course in Miracles or The Way of Mastery and other deep, whether you want to call them spiritual or self-help books, one of the things that people do when they read these books is they keep reading, hoping that as they read they're going to find some nugget or gem or deep truth that's going to crack things wide open for them as they do that they're missing that the real value in the work is the theme that's represented and repeated over and over and over again that's the true value that's you know the the pearl with limitless value, not a word or phrase, not a deep truth, instead of a nugget or a deep truth, the value comes from understanding the flow and the value of creating a new experience, a new way to engage the flow of life moment to moment. And so, over and over again from the first lesson on, the way of mastery asks us to pay attention to the fact that we are literally, in each new present moment, creating our experience of life with how we're choosing to focus our conscious awareness in the moment and what we're choosing to value about meanings from that conscious awareness. And nothing else creates our experience of life. And so if you think, okay, that's nice, that's, that's new, that's, that was hard to swallow in Lesson 1, but it's right there on page five. It says it's the first axiom in this work. It's to just let into your mind the thought that I never experience anything other than what I've chosen to experience. And, of course, we talk about it. It's not the conscious level of choice. Like I'm walking down the grocery aisle and I look at the cookies and I say, I think today I'll choose a chocolate chip cookie or today I'll choose an Oreo cookie. It's not that conscious level of choice that I'm feeling the effects of. It's what I deeply value. It's at an unconscious level. It's what you might call your higher self chooses, and that's how you're experiencing whatever you experience in life. So that's it. The first step of awakening in the way of mastery is right there in the first lesson. It says, nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. And if you want to start on the path of the way of the heart, you have to let that truth into your mind and see what wants to fight against it. See what there is in your mind that wants to say, no, that's not true. I didn't choose to get cancer. I didn't choose to have my wife leave me. I didn't choose to get a broken back right before my first child was born. I didn't choose to get fired from this job that I deeply loved and thought I would retire from. I didn't choose to have my landlord sell the apartment I was renting and wanted to stay here until I died. Watch those things in your mind that want to come up and argue against the first axiom or any of the other axioms as they're presented and then we read, we read through the way of the heart and we hear all kinds of things about how you need do nothing all events are neutral Your thoughts create your tomorrows. The thoughts you choose to value create your tomorrows. The only thing that's limiting you from being aware of your true nature as limitless spirit is the energy of fear, and you're the one creating that fear. We read these different things. They seem quite challenging at different times. We learn about the five keys to the kingdom, and we get to choose. Are we going to use those keys to the kingdom, or are we going to fight against them? We hear things like, love heals all wounds, and you get to choose for love in each moment. Or you get to choose for fear, and whatever you choose creates your experience over and over again. You have the option to birth the mind of Christ. That's Lesson 7. And if you're not birthing the mind of Christ, probably it's only because you're choosing fear or you are buying into the fear that's been programmed into you. And then lesson nine and lesson eight, watch what pebbles you throw into the still clear pool of your awareness. Watch what thoughts you value. Wake up to the truth that you're never a victim of the world you see. You're creating the world you see. It's not the outside world doing this. The outside world is just flowing. All events are neutral. And your thoughts about them are not neutral, but the events themselves are neutral. And then in the 10th lesson, the way is easy and without effort. Well, how could that be? I, I, I work and I work and I slave and I slave and I barely make enough to pay the bills. When you bounce up against these thoughts, these suggestions, these statements and questions. You get to find what inside of you wants to argue against them. And then there's your work to sort out what's the actual truth for you. Is it possible for you to look at life in a different way? And in Lesson 12, it comes right back to the the. the descriptions and observations they made in the first lesson and it says the way of the heart was designed to bypass the cognitive thinking mind in the first lesson it says the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect the intellect is a very simple tool it's there to be picked up and used from time to time and then put away it's not what you were intended to use as your primary way of engaging life you're open, allowing, surrendering heart, you're questioning, asking to be taught by life, perspective on the world, that is your favorite, that should be your favorite, that is going to be the most productive tool you have for engaging life. Not what the Western mind tells you. That your intellect is king or queen and and should rule the day and figure it out and argue for you're right, and fight for your beliefs. Not any of that, but the other way of going at it is wide open, asking to be taught, understanding how little we truly know, leading with feeling, allowing feeling, allowing the energies that are in feeling to teach us, Learn to release the attachments you have to thoughts and beliefs and values. Learn to evaluate what is it you truly value. And then by the time we get to the first lesson in the second book called The Way of Transformation, they come right back to the first and say, please understand that you are unlimited spirit please understand that the thoughts you have about yourself are not your true nature and that you're not limited to that in any way. You are the field of consciousness having an experience right now. And whatever experience you're having has been determined by what you've chosen to value. And you can begin to cultivate a more expanded consciousness. But the only way you cultivate an expanded consciousness is you step more into questioning. And you ask yourself, what is it I have been giving value to? What limited definitions of myself have I been defending? How might I question them? how might I understand that questioning my intellectual conclusions, especially if they result in any kind of a negative emotion, might be a far better way to engage life? How about if I try to understand the kind of thing that Dr. Michael Rice was talking about just yesterday in the second part of of the Mind Shifters Radio, he was bringing up something. We've talked about this extensively at different times. The research that says in 1 25th of a second, they can, they can record about 10,000 brain cells firing in the frontal lobes of your brain, and in that same period of time, you can only be aware of nine individual bits, and you use that to construct the pictures in your mind, your sense of what's going on around you. And in that same period of time, the way I say it is, about 20 trillion bits of information are hitting your senses. So 20 trillion bits of information are available for your senses, and your mind, your brain is functioning on 10,000 of them, and you pick nine of those, to create your your experience, your internal experience, we call it a reality, and you think you know what's going on. And then you want to make it even more absurd. The 20 trillion bits that are hitting your senses that your senses can register are probably less than 1% of what's available in that same moment. How could that be? Well, because your senses don't record ultraviolet, infrared, gamma waves, x-rays, radio waves, television waves, your senses don't record most of what's available in the emotional energy and the thought energy that comes off of other people around you. And it's in your field. This is an energy field within an energy field within an energy field within an energy field. And as Way of Mastery has been talking to us about this, all of this stuff can be available to us if we will ask to be shown if we will step out of the very limited perspective that our conscious logical mind wants us to stay focused on and believe in. The way of mastery calls the intellect something that has been shoved full of trivialities like garbage in a garbage can. Your conscious logical mind, your intellect, is just a simple tool It's like a handsaw or a hammer to a carpenter. It is not intended to be the primary way you interact with life. It never was. And great teachings have known this for thousands of years. Einstein said it. We've been given a precious gift, which is the intuitive, creative mind, and a faithful servant, which is the conscious, logical mind. And we got a problem because our culture has forgotten the faithful servant. We do not teach our children to be creative and to tap into the flow and ask has to be taught. And worse even, we've elevated the faithful servant to the level of master. And we have a bunch of people running around thinking that when they think a thought, it must be true. And if it feels good to them, it must be true. And they better go shove it down the throats of the people around them or beat up the people that want to fight against it or... You know, actually kill and die for their beliefs or their well-rehearsed thought patterns. And there's a level of insanity to that which has given rise to all of the suffering on our planet. So where's the gem? Where's the one thing that can unlock this? You can go through this book. You'll never find it. But... The the constant repetition of these simple themes, choosing your own experience by how you choose to interpret and respond to the flow of life, questioning everything, including your thoughts and beliefs, taking 100% responsibility for what you're doing over and over and over again. It's like... I mean, several images have come to my mind, but it's like, you know, going out and looking for water in the ocean, and you're swimming around in the ocean looking for the water, and, and you just go from one place to another and from one reef to another, and, and you're searching for water. You're, it's everywhere. The key to the life that you say you want, the access to a higher wisdom, to a bliss state, to uh, enlightenment, is literally woven through every page of every great book on the topic. It's not found on one page in one paragraph. It's not like you know, there was this the movie The Hobbit, the movie The Hobbit, the book The Hobbit. The whole thing was about there was a king under the mountain. There was a dwarf king. And they dug and dug and dug and, and they unearthed this gem that was beyond any other gems. It had like all the colors in the rainbow. It was a, like this enormous diamond, but it was more than just a diamond. And it came to represent, you know, the power. Well, when they took that book and turned it into a movie, they did a pretty good job of representing cavern upon cavern filled with gold and diamonds and jewels and rubies and, I mean, like literally acres of subterranean area in, you know, 20 or 30 feet deep stacked with gold and diamonds and 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 people decided this one gem was the most important. There's an insanity there. Well, that's like what most of us do when we come to a book like The Way of Mastery. We go looking for another teaching. We're looking for something, some one thought, some one practice, some one idea. It doesn't exist. And yet, all through the books we read and the talks, we, it, it is woven the fabric of what we need to understand, which is we're creating our experience of life. In any moment where you're feeling tightness or tension or anger or frustration or hurt, you have the capacity in that moment to choose differently, to soften your breath, to step into feeling fully whatever is moving through you. And releasing any judgment, releasing any tightness or contraction, recognizing the judgment and the evaluation and just seeing that every time I judge, I create a distortion. I move myself further out of the flow of life. I create what the way of mastery would call veils that obstruct my ability to perceive the flow of life, the creative force, what Way of Mastery refers to as the shimmering radiance of of creative energy that lies beneath everything that my mind shows me. And again, the way there is a process. It's not a switch I flip. And on practically every page of this book, we have words like experience and choice and choosing. And how do we get there? Well, it's a moment-to-moment thing. It's prior to every breath. It's, it's the awareness that I am constantly all day, every day. From the time I wake up in the morning till the time I wake up in the morning, because as this says, there is no downtime. I am creating my experience of life. I am choosing to value some thoughts, energies, or activities over others. And I have the full capacity to choose the the freedom, to choose to spend my time drinking beer and watching television or these days sucking on some YouTube videos from some pundit, some so-called expert, you know, on a regular basis, I have people ask me, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about Jordan Peterson? what do you think about Yogananda? What do you think about this? What do you think about that person? What do you think about this philosophy? What do you think about this political team? And there are times when I I work to try and find a way to, to ask these people, why are you asking me? Sometimes I just try and give them an answer if, if I understand that, They don't really want to be awakened. They just want a different perspective to throw into their intellectual processing. But sometimes, especially if it happens in a support group, I try to find a different way to ask these people, why are you looking to someone outside of you for the answer to this? And why are you comparing one person to another? or yourself to someone else. And how is that producing a response in you, a result in you? Do you like that response? If so, by all means, keep doing it. I probably won't join you in that. But if you don't like it, please wake up to what all these great teachings are trying to tell us. We have the opportunity in each new present moment to choose again. you remain a miracle of life expressing in form. And if you're not experiencing that moment to moment, it can only mean that you've been programmed to value something other than resting in that truth. There's a line here in the 14th lesson that we read a couple of few days ago where it says, I've often said, that the world is merely the reflection of the insane choice to deny love and to be devoted to fear. The world is diametrically opposed to the capital T truth of the kingdom. The world or the reality that you're creating in your world and these interactions you generate between you and other people who think that their reality is more valid than yours, that actuality of life is the opposite of the world you've created. Your belief that you understand what's going on is a form of psychosis it generates the sense of separation. It's what Einstein called an optical delusion of separation. The way of transformation, it says right here in Lesson 14, rests on the complete reversal of the thought system you have learned in the world. But the thought system is not merely the practice of new ideas that have been repeated ad nauseum in the mind. That reversal of thought must permeate the entire field of your body-mind. And that field of your body-mind is nothing more than the field of your consciousness. So you have to be willing to change what you think and feel and believe in and question everything prior to every breath, to achieve the transformation that they're pointing towards in this book. And if you do that, if you're willing to say, you know what? Having an entirely different experience of life is so important to me, I'm going to work at developing the consciousness that can be aware of what I'm thinking prior to every breath. And I'm going to develop the ability to question everything I think I know. I'm going to develop the part of my mind that can watch as an observer and catch the earliest warning sign that I'm judging or comparing. And I'm going to step back from that and ask to be shown, what absolute underlying truth where's the love of life where's the energy of creation itself expressing in this moment and if you start doing that you will move into a place as they talk about in lesson 14 where you'll start to recognize hey you know what my whole body feels different I just feel like being loving in this circumstance. I feel completely safe. And I remember when these kinds of circumstances, they would have elicited sadness, hurt, fear, and anger in me. But now I just feel like, you know what, this is just a beautiful place to be because I can extend the love of Christ in this moment. Just try to let yourself wrap your mind around that. What if no matter what happened, and they they talked about it in an earlier lesson, they said, what if the building's walls were crumbling around you and, and your piece would be intact? What if you checked your bank account and it was empty and your piece is completely intact? You just breathe and soften and say, oh, I wonder how this is going to work out better than I could have imagined. Do you miss... As we're reading the way of mastery and we say, oh, I wish you would I wish you'd keep going and I really want to. I love this lesson or that lesson, are you missing the fact that this is what they're pointing us to? Just another way to say being in the world without being of the world. What if you recognize that the world you think you're experiencing is nothing more then each moment of relationship you are creating with the energies around you. The core of the work is in almost every page and almost every chapter. And you can summarize it. They summarize it in a variety of different ways. None of them is any more valuable than another. It just depends which one's going to resonate better for you. But they summarize it in various ways. In Lesson 14, in in this one part of the lesson, they ask, Will I assume responsibility for doing whatever I must do to eradicate every misperception, every obstacle to the presence of love in my mind? eradicate every limited belief I've ever learned about anyone or anything, especially about myself. You know, that's in Lesson 14. Back in Lesson 12, they said, hey, listen, you might not want to read on into the the next book called The Way of Transformation. You might not want to go into Lesson 13 until you have satisfied yourself that you've dismantled every negative judgment you have for everything that's ever happened in your past. A call for assistance to dissolve fears. What if you were to call out across space and time to every experience you've ever had and find a way to go within and ask, have I taken the time to fully focus on every lesson in this work? Have I been through everyone I've ever judged and locked in a prison? Have I been willing to ask myself, who do I know in my existence that I've judged and locked in a certain box? And then I just decided this is all they are? Have I been willing to go back and do the exercise they suggested of saying to that person in my thoughts, you know what, mom, dad, ex-mate, whoever it is, I get it. I placed you in a box and I've thrown away the key. I have said you're stuck. So from my experience, I've created a a reality in which you're stuck. So I'm going to release you from that box so that I might be released. Here we are, not even a full two lessons later. They're asking, Will I assume responsibility for doing whatever I must to eradicate every judgment, every misperception, every obstacle to my awareness of the presence of love, every limited belief I have ever learned or created or given value to about anyone or anything, especially myself. If you're looking for a gem, if you're looking for a key, it's in practically every word, but definitely on every page. And you might choose one of these summary statements to hang your thoughts on or to use as the home base that you keep coming back to. But please understand, this is a process that you're being called into. This is a way of experiencing your life from 100% responsibility. And this is what they call the way of the heart, which leads to the way of transformation, which when practiced leads to the way of knowing. So that's my offering for today. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim. I enjoyed that. It's a good lesson, as all of them are.
0: You're welcome and deserving. Have a
1: wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, February the 28th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in, and um, we'll just welcome you to, I'm turning on Podbeam as I'm speaking, so we can transmit both on Blog Talk and Podbeam at the same time. You can pick up all of the archives if you go to wygain.org and click on Caboris, and underneath it you'll see Enlightenment Study, and I've put the archives for every one that we have done, even if it included um, talking to people and um, processing them and not necessarily going through the Enlightenment book. But they are all out there. And Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Well, thank you,
2: dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Honored to get to play, honored to get to hang out together. As we delve in on other levels, into the dynamics of the tools for the technology for experiencing ourselves as human beings and stepping into that space consciously, purposely. Now, there's a quote that comes from Carl Jung. Carl Jung, if you're not familiar with him, is probably one of the most... uh, profound psychiatrist that's ever come to the face of the earth. And, you know, we're, we're working with this idea of perception, and most everybody's trying to get to the truth through perception. And Jung says this, as understanding deepens, the further removed it becomes from knowledge. In other words, you can't do this with your mind. You can't do this with perception. And we've been taught the mind is our God. You know, who was it? uh, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Well, sir, I think you think you think, but I doubt that you think. Or, well, I don't know him very well, but it would seem like there wasn't a whole lot of thinking going on. And, and of course, in the perceptual world, in the non-being mind's world, We have a definition for thinking. Oh, something comes to mind. Something comes to my mind. And my offering is, that's not thinking. That's just resonating information in the mind. And in the last analysis, the truth is, if most people said what they thought, they'd be speechless. And I'll define thinking differently than most of the world, and that is that thinking... Remember, we've talked about the non-being mind carbon-based memory, the body's mind, the mind of Adamus, the red clay, has a cheap copy of everything that's real in the spiritual dimension. The cheap copy of thinking is cycling information. And that's not thinking. Thinking is the ability to keep love conscious, active, and present in your mind, no matter what's happening in your mind and no matter what's happening in your world. Now you're a thinker. And the power of that is that if love is present, whatever is out of harmony in your mind, whatever is based in corrupt data, hostility, or fear, if love is present in your mind, it's going to start to dissolve. And that will make you a great thinker because you will be able to live in the original actuality of the world and come up with things that are not just recycled data from the past in the mind. So this idea from uh, from young as understanding deepens the further removed it becomes from knowledge this isn't about knowledge and most of the world's going oh tell me it tell me the truth tell me the truth I can't tell you the truth you words aren't going to capture the truth that's that's like a, a silly thing that's like you know you get a package from Amazon and you're told that there's a whatever there's a printer cartridge in the package and You hold the package, but you never open it. The package is not, mind is not the carrier of truth. It can be a receiver. And so what we're working with are the tools for how to turn it into a receiver and make of it what it is designed to be so that true knowledge can come to our experience. And the tools we're describing are the tools for achieving that end result. And setting the mind up consciously, purposely structuring your mind so that it comprehends the profound difference it makes to follow the first century Aramaic guidelines for managing your mind so that it becomes your servant and not your master. So just a little touch in there. And, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody in the chat room before I start into any other information?
1: No, it is all quiet. Okay, cool.
2: Well, I've had a couple of questions on the topic of Ho'opona Ono, uh, which is an Hawaiian form of engaging in forgiveness. My take from the interaction I've had with Hawaiian peoples is, one, I suspect that the Hawaiian people are one of the lost 12 tribes, and their language is actually founded in the same Aramaic principles we're talking about. In fact, the word aloha, as it's spoken in this culture, when you go back to the roots of Aloha, it's speaking about this space in the mind, I believe, would be identical to what we've talked about as Rachma. It's what keeps the mind on track. However, you know, we've all heard that idea of lost in translation. There's certain things that can't be said in English. And I think that the my take is that the presentation of Pono Ono as it comes into this culture is probably one of the highest levels of understanding that there is that comes out of Adamos, out of the red clay, out of the mind of man. But what comes out of the mind of man at its very highest, its peak, and I think, oh, Pono Pono is probably that, is actually just starting to scratch the surface in the world of actuality. So if you're not familiar with Ho'opono Ono, it basically has four key statements. And again, because I was asked, actually it was a physician that asked me if I would do some work on it so they could understand it where They were from Hawaii and just loved the Ho'oponopono. Ono. And so they asked me if I would give them some insight into what my thoughts were in the light of the first century Aramaic teachings of Yeshua. So the way that it's taught, you know, you've got someone that's brought disturbance or upset in you, and there are four phrases you use with them. One is, I love you. Two is, please forgive me. Three, I'm sorry. And four, thank you. So... For me, the way those things reflect carbon-based memory and are off-base is, first of all, I've noticed over the years that people who say, I'm sorry, a lot, because we are creators, become sorry people. So, creators, if we engage in the mind energy of sorry, 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 we end up producing results better in alignment with, that are connected to that. So our first step would be, we suggest you never, ever say the words, I'm sorry, again. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take responsibility and apologize if you make a mistake. We have, For that, we have the apology tool in this work. Never say you're sorry. But if you are going to be responsible, then you want to be responsible for the language you put into your creative process. You know, if you listen to Yeshua, he says the power of life and death is in your words. And we could expect anything that comes out of perception that maybe sounds good will always have a twist in it at the end. If it comes out of carbon-based memory, if it's coming from the storage system called carbon-based memory up, it's always going to have a backward twist in it. So the apology tool goes like this in the why work. First of all, it's ownership. You take ownership. I made an error, and I apologize for my error. Now, if I've made an error and I apologize for my error, we've got two people applying at least potentially some measure of goodwill around whatever the error was. The person who says, I'm sorry, of course, the focus is on what they're sorry about. Now you've got two people who are focused on something that they both regret or have some sort of ill will around. Whereas if I take responsibility, I'm introducing goodwill into that space. So I made an error. I apologize for my error. And then, rather than focusing on what the error was, if you get two creative minds focused on an error, then you're going to tend to create more error. But if you get two minds focused on the correction of that error, so now, having acknowledged my error and apologized for my error, taken responsibility for it, I'm going to speak into the creation and into my connection with this other person, the replacement. The behavior I'm going to do in place of my error. So I'm going to focus on, you know, let's take something simple. Gee, I stepped on your toes when we were dancing. I apologize for that. Not I'm sorry, I stepped on your toes. Because if you're focused on sorry and I'm focused on sorry about toes, there's going to be more of it. But if I'm focused and I apologize, I take responsibility for stepping on your toes and in the future, When we dance, I'm going to be very careful how I move my feet so that you're taken care of. Now we've got two minds focused on correction, healing whatever the error was. First step. The next statement in the whole process, please forgive me. Now, that language perpetuates the error of the culture that I'm supposed to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me or you're supposed to let me off the hook from the pain that's happening inside of you. If we're both focused on the pain, what do you suppose is going to happen? We're going to get more of it. So we suggest you never, ever say the words, forgive me, and you never, ever say the words, I forgive you. Never forgive anyone for anything because you can't forgive anyone for anything we have a technology that comes out of the first century Aramaic language and again i think in its original form in hawaiian probably although i don't know it factually not not for sure probably it's a whole lot closer to first century Aramaic forgiveness so In Aramaic, there was a technology that was taught by Yeshua 2,000 years ago for removing the roots of accessing and removing the unconscious roots of generated pain. And as you remove those unconscious roots, then one gets to be free of that pain. Now forgiveness becomes effective. Why is most everybody letting everybody else off the hook instead of forgiving? Why is everyone using the tool of pardoning, and it's a valid tool. I let you off the hook. You you did something crazy, and I'm going to let you off the hook for that. I'm going to pardon you for that. If I call that forgiveness, then I think I've done my forgiveness work. I'll never actually do my forgiveness work. So if I choose to pardon you, or I don't, That's one thing. Now, having pardoned you, let's say you did something really crazy, off the wall, illegal, immoral, you know, and you've owned it, I can offer a pardon for that. Okay, so I let that off the hook. And now I recognize that what you did resonated some pain in me, and now I'm going to go to work removing, forgiving that pain in me. Remember we talked about in Aramaic, there are two words missing From translations, every time that Yeshua speaks about forgiving someone, we're told that he said, forgive your brother. He never said, forgive your brother. If you were to translate the Aramaic passage correctly, he said, forgive as to your brother. In other words, if you're my brother and we interact and you bring up pain in me, I'm going to forgive as to what you have brought up in me. I'm not going to forgive you. Never forgive anyone for anything. Pardon, if you will, but apply the technology of forgiveness inside of you to free yourself from that unconsciously generated pain that you've projected into your brain's image of another. Remember when we go into denial. What's denial? When I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, I'm in denial. When I go into denial... You know, you made me mad. My mind generates a perceptual construct that becomes the guide for my life. You made me mad. I've now taken a lie and told my mind to reinforce my lie. By saying, you made me mad, I'm saying to my mind, mind, you can only show me evidence that that tells me that he or she is responsible for my anger. So now I'm cut off from the root of my own anger. I'm dissociated literally from the true cause of what's moving in me, and I've projected that very content, the cause of it, into my brain's image of you, which means literally when you resonate in me what I haven't dealt with, that I'm in denial about and dissociated from, which you're going to do, you know, or somebody is. If I hold an energy in me, I hold a literal moving pattern of energy that is going to draw a like pattern to it, resonance. It's going to draw somebody in to do it. When that person does that behavior that I have so much pain or trauma about that I never want to have happen in my life again, and, and the more I don't want to have it happen, the more I intensify that energy and bring it about. Oh, I don't ever want this person to reject me again. Oh, I don't ever want this person to talk badly about me. Oh, I don't ever want that. Well, I just set up a field, and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to pull somebody in to do that. So cut off from the root of what I hold to be true, my lie, by my denial, I use the dissociated pain in me literally to build my perception, my construct of another And they show up in my mind, literally structured out of my unresolved pain. And by that act, I'm cut off from being able to resolve that pain. And that's what's led the the world to play this game. of I'm going to let them off, hook, because it's obvious to me. I mean, I can see it right there in my brain. They're the cause of my pain. Well, your brain's a liar. Don't believe it. Don't believe in all appearance. Your brain creates appearances according to instructions and goals. Don't always believe the appearance that your brain or your mind give to you. So once again, forgiveness is a technology for removing that unconscious pain. Pardon that person if you choose, but using the the words, I forgive you, accomplishes letting the other person off the hook but leaves forgiveness undone. Now again, go back to Yesher, the power of life and death is in your words. Speech regulates everything, perception, cellular memory, cellular chemistry, and the whole creative process, what happens in your physiology. So once you understand that, and learn the difference rather than i love you please forgive me i'm sorry i apply forgiveness inside of myself to remove the pained content that i have hidden from myself by blaming you when i try to use the words i love you when love is a noun it's not a verb When love is a state of being, I misuse the language. You know, Vladimir Lenin, genius man, sadly, through whichever, I don't know, the hostility or fear filter rather than Rachma, brilliantly said the way you destroy a culture is to change the meaning of its words. So now, instead of love describing a state of being, a, a, a state that reflects who we are, We now try to pretend that love is something we can do to each other, or that we can get from each other, or that we can give to each other, and my offering is, if you experience yourself as the presence of love, then you can literally be that space of love with that other person, and when you do that, it will tend to resonate that same energy in them so that they can also be the space, but... When you say the words, I love you, you just set up, it becomes a goal. You just set up a goal that is impossible to achieve. You can be the space of love with someone, but that's not loving them. And when you misdirect the mind, the mind will make all kinds of efforts at love, at behaviors that reflect the condition called or being. But when you give it to the mind as a goal and as a verb, something to do, the mind can't resolve that goal. The mind can't achieve that goal, and all it does is create stress. And if you give someone the goal, or you say to them and you reinforce it with pain and trauma, you better be, love them. And of course, if you've got Let's say, for instance, guilt in you, or you've got rage in you. By holding guilt or rage, you'll resonate somebody and to do guilt and rage, something that will bring that up in you. And then holding the goal to be love or loving them, and they resonate your rage, what comes next? Oh, I failed at loving them. Now I've got guilt to add to the. To the pile. So forget this I love you stuff. Because the replacement for that is I cherish you. Yes, I cherish you. And when I am clear that I am a creature, a being that's made of love, that perhaps has lost my way, lost my awareness of myself as love, then I be- can begin to remove those things that have caused me to lose my way and return to the truth of who I am. Saying I love you in a relationship creates huge problems because it's an impossible task. So once again, the word Rachman was what Yeshua used when he talked about the creator and neighbor. And the result of that is you get to maintain your own human life. So the proper use of words are the key here, and so what would a replacement look like for those statements in Ho'opon Ono? First, in gratitude, even in the midst of my conflict, I choose to remember the place in me that is the same as the place in you, creations of love and are one. In our mental perceptions, we appear to be separate, but in the actual invisible, indivisible world, we are an important part of each other. And I honor and cherish you. So there's the first step in the process. I've recognized that I have some sort of conflict going on, and I'm going to train my mind to have gratitude for the opportunity to forgive, to heal my conflict, and I'm going to remember who we are, recognize that in the actuality, there is only one of us. If you listen to Einstein, he says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. So while it appears in my mind that we're separate from each other, there's this optical delusion, I recognize that in the invisible, indivisible world, we are important parts of each other, and I honor and cherish you. Namaste. In the Hindu language is a word that most nearly approximates that. I acknowledge and accept responsibility for my misperceptions and errors. I apologize. I now choose to focus on correction of my errors and commit to act out of love toward both myself and you. So that would be the second and third step. And then, let us join in canceling the goals we hold that drives the pain in either of us so that that pain may be uncovered and undone in us. So this is an act of joining in uncovering and undoing the pain that is in each of us. And I do that for my, our generations, and throughout the whole of creation. And then I've added Lakota Sioux which is another Aramaic-speaking population in the world, Matakweasin, Dakota, Native American Sioux language. The words Matakweasin are words that are used if you're going into a healing ceremony, if you're going into a sweat lodge, you know you stop at the door of the sweat lodge and you offer this acknowledgement in this language, metakwiasan, which, as I understand it, most clearly translates in our English language to, for all our relations. I'm not going into this sweat lodge for healing just for me, but I'm going into it for all our relations. And all our relations includes the two-legged ones, the four-legged ones, the insects, for the healing of the whole... Of the oneness which we are. And so that would be my replacement for the language of I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and thank you. And of course the gratitude we used in step one as a starting point. In gratitude, even in the midst of my conflict, I choose to remember the place in me that is the same as the place in you. We are creations of love, and we are one. In our, acknowledging that in our mental perceptions we appear to be separate, but in, in the actual, invisible, indivisible world, we are important parts of each other, and I honor and cherish you. Namaste. I acknowledge and respect, accept responsibility for my misperceptions and errors, I apologize. I now choose to focus on correction of my errors and commit to act out of love toward both you and myself. Last step, let us join in canceling the goals we hold that drive the pain in either of us so that we join in that space of healing, uncovering and undoing the pain that each of us holds, not only for ourselves, but for the whole of the creation, all our relationships with So for anyone that, was, um, that I've had that conversation with, that would be my take on Ho'opona Ono compared to first century Aramaic forgiveness. And I suspect that might arouse a thought or two, a question or two. So if you're out there in listener land and you're in one of those stations where we can't see you, Our call-in number is 563-999-3581, 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show live. And then if you have a question, if you're out there in listener land, listening on your phone, if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and through the magic of technology, Gene will introduce you by your area code, and we'll be having a conversation. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: We do have a hand up, and it's either Carrie or Mark, not sure which. Awesome. And they're probably going to give us an update from the other day. Yay. <laughs> Hello,
3: brother.
2: Hey, welcome, young man. i
3: uh, morning. Namaste. How are you? I've had a difficulty coming into the present after being in the infinite with you and listening to your voice just now. So I'm trying to regather my mind and put words to it. Um, Well, we'll take a moment and breathe with you. you
2: you. That is just a powerful thought, isn't it? And to me, the sound of those words from the Lakota Sioux language is just like
3: sweet. Very. Very, very. Thank you. I bless you. Update from last we spoke was about my daughter and we helped clear some energies that I felt were draining from my past or generational energies like a, a faucet out of my energy field. And I felt extremely tired and I needed to go lay down and do breath work and energy work. Uh, and you had commented just left that more likely than not, I would receive communication from the mama who I had sent the email to. And by the time I woke up, it was in the inbox. It was less than an hour after speaking with you that the reply came into my inbox. So miraculous Michael, you're muted. As our daily lives are it it, it did work like you said.
2: Well that's awesome, but let's anybody think that was a psychic act by me. It wasn't any kind of psychic prediction. It's just from experience, it's normal when somebody has a big issue like that to do some work around it and bang like within hours. <laughs> the shift happens. So that's just awesome and when delightful. I,
3: when I shift myself, my world shifts. And it just, that's just how it works. And so I immediately, well, actually it took me a whole day to I was just floating and, and zoned out in a different place because of the shift that I had that just occurred in me. And um, the the, the, the reply from the mama was, as I expected, but it was even a little worse in that I, I described it as ninety-eight percent nasty jam and two percent info about my daughter, and so the two percent info was very good, and some, uh, even from my nephew's brother, uh, led me to look at my daughter on on um social media which I was never even thought of before, honestly. And and I found her. I right. found my daughter's photo, and I looked at the pictures and she just she looked like this joyful, sweet, happy girl. Um and that was such a blessing to me to actually connect to her via her pictures. And I realized that I I I will do that more now. I will connect with her energetically more and establish a loving connection between us that way. And I have to say, I I just haven't done that before. So that was a big thing for me that I feel I will will do from now on. Um, And I will continue to use my mentors in my mentor as as my counselor for how to, uh, the way I use it is to, to make a healthy, masculine approach both to mama and and to and to my daughter. So that is my my plan and intention. Is I I could, and actually my my reasoning for doing all this is I don't want my daughter to be able to say that i never reached out. Really that's, that's my daughter uh-huh. yeah. So make that in terms of language open to her for whatever she's ready for. It. And people
2: right. Like that, because right. So in terms of languaging what your intentions are and what your goals are in that regard, or whichever the intentions you choose to turn into goals, when you speak about what you don't want to have happen in the space, you'll tend to put energy into creating that. So rather than what you don't want to have happen with your daughter, you might just, you know, take a look at perhaps relanguaging that a little bit so that your whole focus is on the result you want to create with your daughter. The past one, you know, the mind will tend to bring still the unresolved energy, the past in, and it's like, well, I just don't want this to happen anymore, and so what have I what have I spoken into the creation? I've spoken this happening anymore. Whereas when I ski into it, it's like, ah, so what I'm really committed to is, Keeping that loving connection in thought, word, action, appearance, whenever, if ever, and if never, I see her again. Then I'm going to hold to that space. That will tend to bring a different result into the creation, both in terms of what moves in you and what that moves in her, and in her mother. Yeah, Beautiful. great.
3: Beautiful, um, correction and direction. There. Thank you. Um, continue,
2: continue. I love it. Well, one of the things you, you opened the opportunity to share that I think is important too, you spoke about how after you completed that still point session that you were floating, you know, the work that you'd done on the show and then you were floating afterwards and that kind of like a high. Yeah. And actually, when one does a piece of work, it is literally, and I mean physically, an opioid high that happens. You know, most of the drugs that alter the mind have at least some impact on the opioid receptors in the brain. And we create within us natural pain relievers, natural opioids, you know. And so endorphins is a short form. We've all heard of endorphins. That's a short form for endogenous morphine. Endorphins is endogenous morphine. It's what's created inside of us to anesthetize against our pain. And so when I spend a lifetime anesthetizing myself, and and basically what happens is the, the energy that is off the mark that I bring in, primarily through mind energy, though not always just that, If it is pain-inducing, then my structure will tend to create endorphins that go into solution with that pain and nullify it, neutralize it, but it's still there and it's floating around in the system. When I finally take that toxic energy that's in solution with the endorphins and I pull it out and I remove it from my structure, the toxic effect is gone, and I've liberated those endogenous molecules of morphine within me, and I get high. That's what happens after somebody works through a major issue. They've literally liberated all of the drugs they were using to keep themselves out of pain around whatever that issue is. So it's pretty natural when you do a big piece of work to go on a high. And that's what's happening.
3: Very good. Very good. It makes complete sense when you say it. I just never thought of it before. Well, after I finished working with you, the high I felt was because the toxins were still in me, or, or, or were not in me anymore, and therefore the endorsements that were there to work on them to keep me neutral actually kicked in the higher gear, and I felt that it was a harm. So that was hard hey, to say. Right, they became available. Yeah, it's
2: like they were in solution, so they, weren't, they had no impact. Wow. And then they become available. They're now free-floating until your body adjusts. So, okay, we don't need these anymore, and adjusts them out of the system. But literally, whatever, you know, what, what the forgiveness process does, a la Aramaic, is it collapses the perceptual construct of the mind that's based in pain it takes us into direct relationship with our pain. That's why it's not a doctor feel-good process. If I uh, deny and dissociate from my pain, I use it to, then to build my brain's image of someone else, and I'm still feeling the pain, but I only experience it indirectly through my brain's image of them. I think, like, oh, see, they're the cause of my pain. When I collapse that perception, which is what canceling the goal does, then I access, I drop beneath that projection. That whole structure collapses and in the presence of love begins to dissolve. Now I'm back in direct relationship with my pain. And if love is present in me, that burns off or transmutes that pain. It's literally gone energetically. It's liberated from my structure. And that's what leaves the endorphins available to create the high because they're no longer being used as an anesthetic. They're now free-floating in the system, and it takes time for the system to adjust back to normal. But a step in the forgiveness process is I have to come back into direct relationship with whatever that toxic or sin, in Aramaic, the word meaning off the mark, that energy that's off the mark that I've put in me, that I've been anesthetizing myself again, I have to go back into direct relationship with it. And to me, I mean, it's just such a... A just gigantic uh, piece of genius understanding that that by canceling a goal, you get to collapse the constructs of perception, and you get back into direct. I mean, it's just that that Yeshua brought that to the planet two thousand years ago and handed it to us, and the Greeks destroyed it, and that we're getting to get it back again. To me, it's just like. Every time I think of it, that 2,000 years ago this man knew this and handed it to the world, it just boggles my mind. So every time I have a conversation okay, with someone I mean, like you, or,
3: it's once just I monumental. When I have direct communication with my team, which is the direct place where I made the pen, which is simply as we say off the mark, then I can deal with it. Then in the present, I can love it.
2: Please, well, you remember That's in correct? step four of the worksheet. In step four of the worksheet, I bring, I focus on and bring love present. So, it's not that I'm loving my pain; it's that I'm bringing in the presence of my human life as active love which when people live in a lot of pain and trauma is excluded and we live out of a false self, the, that self that Yeshua said in order for you being, love, to live, you non-being have to die. That non-being self has to go. And part of the forgiveness process is so collapsing that non-being love, self, the active
3: presence of your human of life, love. The, the remembering, remembering the feeling of the newborn child That brings me back into connection with my active love, and it's the active love that releases that uh, from my unconscious. It's like
2: like shining sunshine on a mud puddle. There's a transmutation of energy. The water, the rate of vibration of the water molecule is stepped up, and it evaporates. It's free-floating. It's gone. Exactly the same thing happens when love is present pain, any energy that is pain-inducing, any energy that is off the mark or sin, by exposure to active, present love, literally simply begins to evaporate, just like the, bottle, the water in the mud puddle. And so, freed of it, then the high happens because there's nothing left there to anesthetize by those endogenous morphine molecules they're now free-floating and it'll take time for the body to reabsorb them and and come back into balance
3: wow yes and i just remember yesterday i was going to call you yesterday but i got my time zones messed up and i called in too late but while i was preparing energetically to speak with you yesterday a second email came in her mama explained to me that she had called the daughter and told her about my email and I said, "Oh no, don't send it. And then she said, well, oh, can I read it to you? And the daughter said, no. But she read it to her anyway. And that there was a silence at the end of it. And, and that was it, really. But my takeaway from that is that there has been a shift in mama. I felt yeah. a support of me in reaching out the daughter as the between the daughter and the father, which energetically is totally appropriate, because the father communicates to the children and see the mama at the beginning. And so I'm at that early stage as well. So I took that as a, as a shift in mama as well because of my shift. It's visible, it's clear.
2: Well, the only thing we know of in the material world that can stop the high-energy wave when it leaves the mind as we think a thought, like all matter is totally and completely transparent to it, the only thing that can take on or absorb that wave is another set of brain cells with a matching frequency. So as long as you're in hostility or condemnation or what have you about mama, you're continuously, literally, that that energy in you is, you know, by definition, bring the physics idea in, energy is motion, and everything that's in motion sets up an energy wave. You know, imagine throwing a a pebble into a pond. What happens? A wave occurs. The motion of energy of hostility or fear creates a wave And if there's another set of brain cells that matches it, then it's going to join and intensify that same energy in that other set of brain cells. When I collapse that and I'm no longer radiating that, then the resonance of that energy in that other person, it doesn't matter if they're on the other side of the planet or if they're on the moon. The energy pattern in them changes as well. That's what yes. led me to say, and because I've observed it over and over and over again, it wouldn't surprise me if you get an email today. Because literally, you know, it's, Jeannie likes to use the example of, of a tug of war. If you're in a game of tug of war with someone, you know, you pull the rope. You have know, my rage, her intense, you know, anger. My fear, her what? Boom, 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 boom. If I drop my rope, her game's got to change. Can't do anything else. Energetically, it is literal physiological resonance on the level where we believe in physiology. And so I'm, when I hold a particular energy, I'm literally sending out a lasso, and if there's anybody in town that's got the matching bag of garbage, I capture them by the neck and pull them right in and pull the behavior out of them. There they are doing it to me again. You know, that's the essence of my book. Why is this happening to me again? Because we're creators. For most people, while we're living out of carbon-based memory, the most powerful creative force is held in the unconscious. That's what led Yeshua to say, you must forgive from your heart, and that word heart in our modern updated language would be the unconscious. It's not the physical organ, and it's not a bleeding heart statement, forgive from your heart. He's literally saying you've got to go into your unconscious and remove that which you just put into your brain's image of another if you ever expect that that person's going to change. Because as long as you're sending out the instruction, as long as you hold that connected to your brain's image of them, you're continually, continuously pardon me, sending out instructions that says, please come back and do that to me again. Please come back and do that to me again. When I let go that. over it, they go, well, why was I even doing that? You know, it's like, that was silly. Make sense?
3: Yes. Yes. Beautiful Yay. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm typing, typing notes uh, all along. And um, I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing and for your impact on my life, the way your wave has, impacted my life uh, from your puzzle in the pond, And it's important for each of us to bring in our own puzzle piece. I need to bring my puzzle piece to the, to the puzzle, otherwise it's not complete. It's not there. And, of course, exactly. then I realized that my puzzle piece and your puzzle piece are the same puzzle piece. We just think they look different, but they're really nice. It's all me. Yes.
2: Yeah, and in the ultimate actuality... We all share exactly the same purpose. When we come down into this world of form, each form with its own genetic history and such has a different mode of expression of of that purpose, but ultimately in the actuality, we all come from and carry the same primary purpose. Our secondary purposes are unique and individual, but primarily, uh, to me, we all have the same purpose and you know, at this stage, I mean, who knows what it's going to be when 7.5 billion people wake up one morning going, oh, I recognize that I am love, and oh, yeah, that person I thought was my enemy, well, we're actually connected, you know, for all my relations, we're cleaning this up. You know, what's the purpose, what's the game going to look like when 7.5 billion people wake up doing that? I don't know, but at this point, it's, uh, it's definitely about healing. So, joining yeah. you in that, my friend. Yeah, something's gonna happen. Yay! Well, yeah. any other thoughts for you? Any other way we can serve you today?
3: Oh, uh, Brother, um, I'm complete for today. Uh, we'll be probably in again as we go along, and um, and when I get stuck again, cause I was I was pretty stuck with um, holding on to the struggle. Yeah, the Federal war rope. And and I didn't know where it was. I didn't know where it was attached. And it took your assistance and being in the vortex of the um Aramaic forgiveness space of love for that to happen. Just just being in this space with you and that big energy release that came from there. I did get a sense of the ancientness of it, as I mentioned then. And and I could yeah. feel sense of it. It's like the old Yuck, yuck, masculine collective of the dark, unhealthy masculine but a big, big part of it drains away. And of course, I realize Sweet. that's just one layer of the onion. It's just another layer and, we, and I need to keep working it. So when I get once again, I'll be telling you because work works. And I
2: appreciate Well, that. I'll hold the space that you uh, you enter into the habit of putting the pen to the paper and just collapsing any of those things as they come up you know one of the things that you know dr tim when we first started doing this show he'd been doing uh, this work for i think five or six years and he was a listener on the show and this goes back 12 years ago and for the first oh i don't know eight or so years of doing the show seven or eight years he was on the show every day, and we kind of became co-hosts. You know, we'd kick things back and forth. We'd have a conversation about the whole thing, and uh, and then you know there came a point where Tim said, "Well, I'm I'm ready to do my own show." It's like great. Let's do. We'll make it two hours instead of one. But one of the things that he would share is, you know, as a psychologist, clinical psychologist in practice for, I think at that point about four decades. He shared that over the years. Um, he and other psychologists would, you know, they'd hear about this psychiatrist, a psychologist that was doing this great work, and they'd go and study with them. they'd do their workshop or their intensive or whatever it was, and he found that, you know, he'd come back and, and he and, you know, other friends that were psychologists that would be joining him, he's like, and this Particularly, We went to go study with this famous psychiatrist or famous psychologist, and, and they produced these miraculous results, and we all went home, and none of us could produce those results. And his take was the thing that attracted him to this work was that he could take that worksheet and hand it to anybody, and if they do it, they'd produce the same results as me or you or him or anybody else. You know the formula is in. Here's the tool. You don't even have to believe it works. If you just use it, it'll change the energetic okay. patterns. But that was the thing for Tim that had attracted him and had him. I mean, you know, he he has support groups and he's. I mean, he's been doing this work. He's been out there for years now with it. And and that was his thing is I can hand this to anybody and they can do it. It doesn't take some magic formula or some you know, educated mind or some Ph.D., just take the tool and use it. And to me, that's the power that's and the good. beauty of it. So
3: <laughs> pass it on. It is. And I did, I did remember that, um, yes, yeah, to pass it on, that um, I did some workshops yesterday on mama, and it, it's interesting to me to see the difference. Well, I change from one to the next. Yeah, I, it feels the same. But then something else will pop up, and it's just, just a thin layer, a thin layer, a thin layer. And how amazing that that works too!
2: It just works. Well, you would probably enjoy—I don't know whether Carrie's got it or not—you'd probably enjoy watching our workshop, Healing Through Relationships, where we explain the dynamic of what we oh, call what? the file folder effect. There's a workshop we do called Healing Through Relationships. One of the things we talk about in that workshop is the file folder effect. And the file folder effect basically says, when one set of brain cells fire in the mind at the same time as another set of brain cells, they literally wire together. And until the forgiveness work is done, if one aspect of that issue fires the other one's going to go, come into play and what tends to happen is through resonance we're drawn to relationship with people who have matching bags of garbage it's resonance it's energy yeah. and yeah. and most people call relationships based in matching bags of garbage love relationships that's why 50 to 60% of them end in divorce because they're actually based in matching bags of garbage. Now, that's a beautiful thing when you realize that you can move out of being a, a, a card-carrying member of the One World Religion of Blame where it's somebody else's fault right. and you recognize that you and your partner are matching bags of garbage and when your partner resonates something out of your bag of garbage instead of going, attaching it to your brain's image of them, And if you've been in a relationship where you have, which I hear you describing, you break those attachments, you're freed from it, they're freed from it, and you get to play a whole new game of aliveness in your relationships. A A whole whole new game of joy.
3: I call those matching
2: dents. Yep, that's it. (laughs) Yep, right on. (laughs) So we join you in knocking out all the dents that any of us have and being restored to the shiny new human beings that we are, in in essence, that we are always, regardless of the dents we take on.
3: Yes. And thank you, brother, and thank you, Junior, for being there. Um, I know you've shifted my life, and I am grateful for that. And I thank
2: you. Delighted to be on the team. Honored, my friend. Thank you. Glad you shared it with us. There'll be others who'll get to listen to the process you went through, and they'll also gain and benefit. And there's a great principle in The Course of Miracles that says, when you are healed, you are never healed alone. And millions yet unborn will be touched by the work you do. So thanks for your willingness. Yes. Joining you in it.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I Miss mean, Gary, what's on your That's mind right. for
2: today? You got any thoughts for us?
1: Oh, not a lot. <laughs> I'm just here on the sidelines on this one. It's great Uh, to have you sharing here
2: with them. Delighted, honored. We've been hanging out for a long time, Carrie. Mm
3: -hmm. It's got to be
2: something in the range of about four decades now.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll connect with you, too. I have some cool things I want to talk
2: to you about, but not today. Okay. Cool. But I'm thinking it was about 40 years ago that uh, we first met in Kalamazoo. Yeah, Yeah. at least
3: 40,
1: maybe even more. It
2: might even be a little (laughs) more than 40. Yeah, yeah, it might be more like 42 or 43.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What fun! Really cool, generations.
2: Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Well, I'll look forward to that conversation that you have in mind. And in the meantime, we'll hold the space for you guys to have the best year yet of your eternal lives together. And uh, delighted to be connected with you. Glad to be sharing the planet with you both.
3: Thank you, brother. Lots of love. All right.
1: Thank you so much. Blessings. Take care. Much love to you guys, Mary. Adios. All right. Thank you.
2: And you resonated as you each spoke those words. Much love. One of the things that Jeannie and I did last week, one of the things we like to do is movies. It's a great place to process things. But we, a local theater here, which is kind of interesting, we're in this little town in Bristol, Virginia, and, you know, backwoods, southern Tennessee. And um, the local theater was playing the um, film One Love. And so we went to see it. It's a story of how... um, Oh, what's his name? Um his name's not coming to my brains. in a whole different vibe right now. In any anyway, event, if you happen to see, if it's happened to be playing, uh, go and see the film One Love. It's really quite powerful, quite sweet. Bob Marley. Bob Marley, yeah, Bob Marley. And uh, the music is great in it, but also the story that's weaved into it, what, uh, what brought Bob Marley to be, you know, being the stand for love in the world. It's pretty powerful. And we're down to the last minute or so, so I'm just going to say thank you, everybody, for joining us. Delighted that you've been here. And, uh, you know, pass it along. When we finish the show, you can go to the archives. Go to whyagain.org, why org. There's a microphone in the middle of the page. Click on it. Drill down to today's date. You can download or you can create a link or pick up a link to this today's show and pass it along. Appreciate you. Have a blessed one. Best year yet of your eternal
3: life. Blessings. Bye-bye.